You're the lady, you're the lady, oh my old lady hates stink bugs. She got a thing about a stink bug. It's like a bee in her bonnet, she gets right on it when she sees one. Little bitty critter can't get a lick in. She's going looking for a bigger stick, but we're gonna need a gun to get every last one of them stink bugs. It drives her crazy when she hears one. In the middle of the night, I gotta turn on the light and put my shoes on. Because they stink bugs will slide up between your toes And when you go back to bed you gotta hold your nose You better take them out back where the rosemary grows In the stink bug burial ground Before I pull the drapes I gotta give them a shake To make the stink bugs all fall out I checked her nooks and her cranny And the wrinkles in her granny And the folds in her wedding gown They're odiferous and they move pretty quick So you gotta take them by surprise Then they play dead but honey get it through your head They smell better if you take them alive That when the day comes, she's gonna feel much better when she shakes out her sweater and finds none. She'll either drive them buggers to extinction or drive her old man to the brink. And I think I saw one going under the sink. There's a lot more of them than you think. And I think I saw one going under the sink, another stink bug. Yo, the lady, yo, the lady, oh, my old lady hates stink bugs. Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And you have been listening to the Stink Bug Stomp by my good friend, Dave Dishno. And he is on the line with us right now. And Dave, you are really known as Dancing Dave, is that correct? Yeah, that's a nickname that I acquired uh, a few years ago. I was playing in a band in... Uh, Hagerstown called um, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on it myself actually <laughs> <laughs> anyway playing in a band and uh, I tend to move around a lot when I uh, perform uh, and uh, got the nickname uh, Dancing Dave from some of my band mates and, and uh, it stuck and I didn't mind it so now I've been using that as uh, my uh, nom de guerre now, since you do mostly solo work now, do you still dance when you play? <laughs> yes. Yes, I can't stop. Uh, it's like the uh, uh, the John Mayall song, uh, I can't do my best unless I've got room to move. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's entertaining for the audience. I went to a concert one time at uh, Towson University, and Elliot Bronson was the, one of the performers. And the girl sitting next to me leaned over and she says, you know what's great about this performer? I said, well, no, what? She says, he sings with his entire body. Watch his feet. And he, you know, he danced just like you do. And so it was more entertaining to her to watch the singer move. So you're going to have lots of female fans. (laughs) I guess. I don't realize, you know, what I'm doing while I'm doing it. It's given me a more of an appreciation for... Uh, Joe Cocker, for example, who had <laughs> a lot of movement in his performances, and I'm sure it was involuntary. Um, that's just uh, what I do. Well, the song we led off with, Stink Bug Stomp, it's an interesting song. Well, thank you. Now, how was that? I'm assuming you wrote it, what, about four years ago, three years ago, when all the stink bugs uh, came No, I, actually, it was the 2013 uh, it was the 
right? The, the, the first big uh, stink bug invasion of uh, the mid-Atlantic uh, stink bug, of course, was an invasive insect that came from uh, somewhere overseas and uh, then made its way up from the south into uh, the mid-Atlantic region. And uh, that first wave of stink bugs was very dramatic. Uh, they were, you know, they came into your house in the in the fall and got into every crack and crevice trying to find a place to spend the winter. And, uh, um, and it's a true story. My, my wife, uh, can't stand them and she steps on them. Even though I say, don't step on them. It's going to stink, you know, flush them instead. But <laughs> <laughs> Now you have not always been an original songwriter. Is that correct? Or am uh, I wrong? Well, not always, no, of course not. But um, I started really writing songs seriously around that time, 2013. I was in that that band, um, Dino Del Rey. Dino Del Rey and the uh, uh, whatever they were called, compadres. Compadres. That's right. You were you were a compadre. I was a compadre, and. Uh, and Dino is a, a very good songwriter, and I was impressed with his songs. And uh, I had uh, made my living as a news writer, and um, and uh, I just figured I could probably write a write a song. Dino can write a song, and then one of my other bandmates, uh, Joe Kuna, he wrote a song, and I said, "Dang, I'm going to write some songs." So I wrote that Stink Bug Stop song, and then a number of other songs, and then. Uh, Ever since, I've been writing uh, pretty regularly. I joined a songwriter's uh, workshop that meets once a month in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, and uh, write a song a month. Uh, and as a retired uh, newsman, I'm very accustomed to getting a, an assignment and a deadline and getting the job done. So it's a, a good way for me to, to approach songwriting. Well, that brings up your background since you were a, a writer, news writer, and a songwriter, how did your both mus musical journey and your news journey start? How young were you? And uh, kind of bring us forward from there. Uh, well, you know, looking back now, I'm 65 now, and I can see that uh, music has probably been the most constant thing in my life. Uh, and then, uh, writing is probably a close second. I always enjoyed writing. I'd write story, little, you know, fiction stories, uh, probably starting in second grade, certainly by fifth grade, I was, I was writing, uh, you know, short stories that I would show to my teacher and I liked getting praise for my writing. And, um, and then I was, you know, started taking piano lessons at my parents' insistence, uh, sometime in elementary school and um, took piano and then played saxophone in the junior high and high school bands. And then when I got to college, I uh, met some guys who played guitar. And of course it was the, the time of, uh, you know, the great folk rock uh, era of the 1970s. And, and the guitar was the instrument. Everybody was playing acoustic guitars. And so I bought a Yamaha, uh, FG-160 uh, guitar at Elderly Instruments in East Lansing, Michigan. I think it cost about 100 bucks, and uh, had that guitar for, uh, gosh, uh, six years or seven years. And then um, my next guitar was an Ovation, 
basic ovation model. Uh, didn't have the uh, the elect electronics in it. I, I've never bought a guitar that had electronics in it, and I've only had guitars with electronics installed in them uh, in the last probably five, uh, six years. Um, now, hey, an acoustic. Yeah, yeah going. I was going to say. So when you performed, you must have had a microphone out front. Uh, when I performed, uh, I didn't really start performing. Well, uh, uh, well I mean, I'll tell you. So I had that. I had that Ovation guitar, and then at the, around that time, I joined a. Uh, there was I joined a band. That was my first band. I played that guitar, and I put a pickup in that guitar, and um, and played uh, in a band called Critical Mass in uh, Menominee, Michigan. <laughs> and we won a Battle of the Bands contest at the uh, at a band shell in a park in Marinette, Wisconsin. <laughs> now, do you remember which song you played to win that contest? Uh, 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 oh, we did some. Uh, we did an eclectic mix of uh, John Pr everything from John Prine to uh, Jimi Hendrix. You know, we were doing cover songs of the of the era, and of course, that was an era when you could turn on the radio and hear both John Prine and Jimi Hendrix on the same station, sometimes in the same hour, sometimes back to back. You know, uh, the music, the musical offerings uh, were were so broad, uh, and uh, you know, I'm sure that had a huge influence on my musical taste. I, I very eclectic uh, musical taste. Now, you mentioned that you played piano and saxophone. Did you continue playing either or both and still do? Or uh, No, I, I never really did uh, get the hang of the piano for some reason. It just uh, didn't, it never felt natural to me. Uh, the saxophone, I enjoyed playing um, and uh, played it in, uh, uh, in that band that I mentioned back in Michigan. And uh, then I... Uh, on and off I would play it but it, it was an old student model of a saxophone that just got worn out and when it finally stopped working properly I just uh, got rid of it and, uh, and never bought another one I think about buying another one I'd, I'd like to play tenor the one I had was an alto sax uh, I'd like to uh, get a tenor sax sometime and, and blow on that but I did uh, in the last uh, 10 years uh learned to play harmonica. Uh, I was in that band with, with uh, Dino Del Rey and the Compadres. And, and when we, when I joined the band, we were uh, three guitars and a stand-up bass. And uh, I figured we needed some other instrumentation. So I uh, had always fooled around with harmonica, but never got any good at it. But uh, with that, uh, with that as my uh, incentive, I got better at playing the harmonica as well. Now, did you take lessons on the harmonica? Did you get like a YouTube or a book or a tape of some sort to learn? No, just like guitar, just playing by ear. Um, and, of course, with the guitar, I had started out, had some, I think a John Denver songbook was the first uh, uh, songbook that I bought and learned some songs uh, 
and most, but most, you know, pretty much on my guitar playing, certainly the harmonica playing has all been self-taught. And uh, once I learned how to play chords on a guitar, uh, I kind of stopped buying the songbooks and just um, figured out the songs on my own. Now, I've, I've watched you play, and I've heard you play, and I'd love to hear you play more because I really enjoy how you perform. You do you. an interesting, or you're welcome, you do an interesting mix of chords and then accents. Um, not necessarily little bass runs, things like that, but you'll, you'll throw in some individual notes or what I would call mini leads into your, your playing. Was that something that just came natural to you? I guess I don't think uh, all that much about it. I mean, uh, lately I have been trying to focus more on what I'm what I'm doing and get better at doing leads or or bass parts or thinking about the different parts of of what I'm doing. But I think uh, I've always been a very rhythmic sort of uh, guitar player, and and I'm drawn to rhythm you know, in a, in a big way. So I think what you're talking about probably reflects me just accenting some part of the rhythm or trying to work some syncopation into, uh, whatever rhythm I'm playing. Uh, you know, the, the more syncopation and sort of, uh, <laughs> complication there is, the more I like it. Well, you have an interesting, uh, it's not a bag of tricks. It's kind of like a box of tricks. When we did that show, the Christmas show with the Fame Group at the Hagerstown Mall, you had what seemed to be, to me anyway, your entire collection of percussion type of things. What do you have that you you use uh, when you play music, or as a sideman? Uh, well, as a as a sideman, once again with the compadres, uh, we needed something something more than guitars and a bass. So, in addition to the harmonica, I uh, started playing a lot of uh, percussion instruments. I bought a cajon uh, and uh, collected a uh, just a lot of uh, hand percussion uh, instruments, um, shakers and sticks and things like that that you can you know get some rhythm on. The one that draws the most attention is a is a, a zydeco tie. It's a corrugated steel uh, tie like a washboard only it's hangs just hangs off of your shirt collar and uh, you play it with thimbles like you would a rub board and um, that gets people's attention and it really adds uh, some nice uh, uh, sounds to the music I think um, but yeah I've got this big uh, box of stuff that I haul out when I'm playing uh, as, a, as a member of a band and try to add that to it. When I'm performing uh, just by myself, it's just me and my, uh, usually the harmonica rack and, um, and the guitar. Well, with a harmonica rack, and I, I, I must confess, I am not a good harmonica player. I think I have one little thing my dad taught me when I was a kid that I can sort of play, but I never got the hang of being able to play melodies or anything like that. But how do you go about learning to play harmonica first and then to be able to use the harmonica on a rack while you're playing guitar? Did that take you a long time to learn? 
Uh, well, you know, it's just like anything. You just keep working at it and you get better. And um, it is a little tricky. I mean, if I think about what I'm doing when I've got that rack on and I'm uh, playing individual notes on the harmonica, um, you know, without touching the harp with my hands, that does probably involve some uh, complicated uh, physiology that I'm not aware of. Uh, but it's just a sort of a matter of necessity, you know, you, you figure you do it cause you have to do it. So, um, <laughs> so, no, I didn't, nobody taught me. I did, I had a, a friend, uh, uh, who was a, a guy named Jay Mason in Hagerstown, who was an excellent harmonica player. And he taught me, uh, a very simple couple of tricks on a harmonica called a chicken and turkey. Uh, when you're, uh, if you want to make like a like a chugga chugga train sound, when you're blowing out, you go chicken 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 chicken. If you're sucking in, you go turkey 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 turkey, and you'll find that you get that sound, uh, and that's been useful. Um, I never would have thought other, of that. I know, but it's uh, it works and it's true. Um, so chicken blowing it's a very out, simple thing. Yeah, chicken blowing out and turkey pulling in right hmm very very interesting <laughs> now the and again i'm not a harmonica player but from what i understand because i purchased a harmonica about five or six years ago i thought well i'm gonna and i even bought a rack which i've never been able to figure out how to use appropriately but i thought you just buy harmonica and you play in whatever key the guitar's in or the song is in, but that's not the way it works, is it? No, you you pretty much need to uh, select uh, the harmonica uh, to match the key of the song, uh, and and then the the harmonica that's going to match the key of the song is not is not always uh, the harmonica that's keyed uh, to that same key. For example. If uh, you're playing a song in C, and it's a and it's a countryish or folkish kind of song, I would probably select the C harmonica. But if it was a blues song, then I would select the F harp, uh, which is five half steps up from C. I hope that's correct. C C sharp D D sharp D F. Yeah, C sharp. D, D sharp, yeah, and um, and that works for the blues, so that's called cross harp. So you got your straight harp, which is playing the harmonica that matches the key of the song, or cross harp is the harp that's five half steps up from the key of the song. Uh, and furthermore, if you're playing straight harp, you'll find that you're going to find the notes you want mainly by blowing the blowing, you'll find the C note blowing in, blowing out. If you're playing cross harp, you'll do more sucking and find the notes you want, mainly on the on the, what they call the draw rather than the blow. So in other words, you couldn't use a F, F uh, harmonica to, and play a folk song in the key of C. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work, or it would work, but only in certain... Well, it, it 
sure it would work and you'd get some interesting sounds. You wouldn't get a uh, the most um, recognizable or standardized kind of sound that people would expect or that you would expect to hear with that kind of song. You'd get something that would add a bluesy element to a folk song, which of course can would make it more more interesting in my view. Um, but you would have a tougher time matching, you know, playing along to the melody of the song, probably, uh, if you're playing the cross harp. So I would imagine... Cross harp, you know, is, is just like the blues. It comes at things from a kind of a angular direction rather than straight on, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So someone like a Bob Dylan in his early years would have been playing a C harp when he's playing a song in the key of C because he's very folky. I would imagine that would be correct. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's correct. What has struck me is when I first started listening to Bob Dylan, which was not back in his fame years, um, famous years in the early years, the only ones I heard were the ones that were played on the radio. So I didn't delve into, not I, wanna, I don't want to use the word obscure, but Bob Dylan's songs that wouldn't have been on AM radio until I met Willie Barry, because when he started performing, he he knew 88-plus Bob Dylan songs, and I liked some of them, so I went back to listen to some of the, you know, from the originator. And what struck me was, is most of the local or regional performers I know, yourself included, play the harmonica much better than Bob Dylan did when he was using it back in the 60s and early 70s. Well... I mean, what does that mean to play it better? I mean, he plays it like uh, you recognize that Bob Dylan harmonica playing, right? It's it's uh, raggedy and uh, and uh, loud and uh, sometimes sounds awful, but it's a, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a style. Yeah, I know? guess you're right. And, yeah. and do you recognize that style? Um, uh, uh, Neil Young is similar you know with his heart playing it's it's awful but uh but it works <laughs> so is that good you know i don't know well it's I like, like it. yeah it, it's like i told someone uh, one time years ago who's struggling to get gigs and saying i don't understand i do everything everybody tells me to do and i don't get any gigs and i'm depressed and i i said wait a minute don't do what everyone else tells you to do just do what you do and eventually you will gain your own audience. So I guess that goes with the uh, the harp playing. Just play it the way you want to, and you'll become either a Bob Dylan or, or Neil Young, and people will love yeah, you I for shouldn't it. Have said, right, I, I shouldn't have said that about Neil Young. Actually, his harmonica playing is, is smoother, of course, than, than Bob Dylan. It's, his, it's his, lead, his lead electric guitar playing that's so, so awful. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't have any semblance of order, the, the, the little, little I've heard. Right, right. It's just like uh, crashing and smashing things. Maybe that's the way he gets rid of his uh, angst. Yeah, I like it. So anyway, when he, yeah, and a harmonica, you know, so you'll see harmonica players. They show up with a whole case full of harps because they got to have all those um, all those keys. Um, and then, you know, when you're a harp player, you start collecting all these oddball harmonicas as well, like an A minor harp. I acquired a, a year or so ago and that's useful for gypsy jazz type music or you know various types of uh, spooky blues kind of sounds there's the chromatic harps that have the sharps and flats built in with a with a plunger that you move to get the sharps and flats there's chorus harps and there's 
you know, there's a lot of different kinds of harmonicas and you, and you can build up quite a collection and it gets kind of expensive because <laughs> they, you know, the, the basic uh, blues harp, for example, costs you about 40 bucks. So, you know, you need like 10, 12 harps. Uh, you're putting out a lot of money. So if someone were to buy just one harmonica, not necessarily to play with the guitar yet, but say they're just learning harmonica, which one should they purchase? Is there a certain key you should get first? Well, C is a is a pretty standard key that, you know, for music of all kinds. So that would be a good one to start with. If you're looking to just get a basic collection that you can probably play along with, with most of the... Uh, especially the folk kind of, or most of the stuff you hear would be a, a C, a D, a A, and a G harmonica. And you can find those uh, honer cells like those in a package, you know, a four-pack of those harps. Well, that's good to know, because I had thought fairly recently, when I say fairly recently, within the last year and a half, to try better at being a, a harmonica player, and I wanted to get the different keys, and I thought, well, which ones do I purchase? Not thinking to call someone like you who plays harmonica, and I get and I went to the, the store, and I'm looking at all, and I, I I just gave up. So that's nice to know that they come prepackaged for like uh, your basics. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good. That's how I. That's the first thing I think I got was a four pack like that. Well, let's go back to when you mentioned your, you went from the Yamaha to an Ovation guitar. After the Ovation, what did you go to? Then I had that Ovation for 20-some years. And, uh, and then in the 1990s, I guess, probably the late 90s or early uh, I don't know, maybe it was even in the 2000s, the aughts. I said, yeah, I want to get a, a decent uh, wood guitar before I die because I was uh, I, I was just jamming uh, a lot with another guy who had, he would trade guitars, you know, like every six months he would get a different guitar and they were all nice guitars like Martins and Guilds and, uh, uh, and I wanted to get a nice guitar. So, you know, I shopped around and uh, settled on a Taylor uh, 710 short scale. It's a 2004 model. And um, it's a good, uh, very versatile guitar. I like the the balanced tone of it, and I like the playability of it. And, uh, and I've since installed a uh, pickup in it, and uh, it's kind of my uh, workhorse guitar that I play at gigs or when I... Uh, run an open mic, I bring that and I let other people play it and it's uh, been through a lot and uh, had its neck reset and uh, yeah, it keeps going. So it's a pretty good guitar. Now, then, uh, okay. yeah. Go ahead. And then in uh, just a couple of years ago, there's a uh, luthier named Jack D'Amico who lives now in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania and previously lived near Frederick. Maryland, and um, I had admired his guitars when uh, when he lived near Frederick. He had his some of his guitars on sale uh, on a consignment basis at uh, the music store called Bose Strings, and uh, I had seen his guitars both there and went to his 
shop one day and, and looked at his beautiful instruments, uh, thought I never could afford one, then lost track of him, then bumped into him in Waynesboro a couple of years ago and uh, at a guitar swap, and he was selling some of his uh, shop models and uh, uh, demo models and uh, things that he'd built and wanted to clear out and had real good prices, and I bought one of his guitars, and that uh, opened up a whole new uh, world for me of uh, playing different styles of music. It's amazing to me how uh, how the guitar that you play will influence your playing and make you a better player. If it's a, you know, a good guitar, I think will make you a better player. A, a good player can make a bad guitar sound good, but um, a good guitar, I think, will make a bad player get better. So does that mean in a way that there are songs in a guitar? I've heard a lot of people say that, um, you know, this guitar had songs in it. I couldn't have written this song on my old guitar. I could only write it on this one because the song was within the guitar. Do you kind of sign on to that as well? Uh, yeah, I, I don't feel like the song is in the guitar, but I do feel like certain guitars are certainly more suited to certain kinds of songs, much in the same way that a you know, nylon string guitar is more suited to a, a softer music than a, an electric guitar. Um, but I, but I feel that this D'Amico guitar, I, and I wrote a song recently uh, used in that guitar that I felt uh, that I, I told Jack that uh, this guitar was made for this song. <laughs> so maybe I do believe that, <laughs> you know. Uh, well, when you sit, I don't know. When you sit down yeah. to write and, and you've got an idea for a song, which of the two guitars do you tend to pick up? I just generally tend to pick up the D'Amico around home because it's um, smaller. It's um, got lighter strings on it. So it's just overall easier to play. Uh, and um, that's the one I always grab for playing around home. Now, how do you go about writing? I know this writer's group that you, you're a part of for, out of Waynesboro has helped, but what's your, everyone is a little bit different. Some people say they write the music first. Some people say they write the lyrics first. Some say they do both at the same time. Some people say it kind of uh, sits around in their brain for, for weeks or months at a time. How do you go about writing? Uh, I think that I mainly, in general, uh, am more of a word smith and uh, I like to play with words and uh, think about words and I am drawn to the musicality of language and uh, and certain phrases or sentences you know just have a a rhythm to them and almost a melody in the way that we say them and uh, and those phrases usually become the basis of the song. Uh, you know, a, f a phrase will occur to me, and I like the phrase, and I like the way, uh, it, just the way it sounds suggests a melody, and then it, it goes from there. Once I have a form, I think, of uh, a structure, you know, for a, 
for a, a melody or a, a verse format, uh, then it's just a matter of sort of filling it in with with the words. And then that is the most enjoyable part for me is uh, just playing with the words. You know, <laughs> I love playing with words. Well, and I'm sure, I mean, you mentioned that you wrote your first short story, or I'm assuming it's a short story, um, in, say, the second grade age range. So uh, do, has your writing skills that you acquired from a young age through being an Associated Press writer helped you in your songwriting? Sure. Uh, I think there are elements of of uh, writing that are common to songwriting and news writing and story writing and any kind of writing uh, in which you are trying to communicate something. And the basic rule is uh, brevity. Uh, don't use uh, two words when one word will do. Uh, use short words as much as possible. Um, Short sentences are better than long sentences, and these are just you know this is these are this this is basically the rules that you learn from the book The Elements of Style, which is a, a famous uh, book uh, about writing, uh, and I think it applies to everything that uh, that I'd want to read. Now, how do you come up with the subject matter? Or here. Uh, uh, that's just, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, well, I, I was listening to one of your other Dave, the Dave, uh, Wenner, Weiner interview yes. you did. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was talking about a songwriting group where you get a slip of paper and, and, uh, you build a song off of that. And that's what we do in my group too. We, we vote every month on a prompt and, and get the prompt. But, uh, that doesn't mean that the song's going to be about that thing. Uh, and to give you an example of how my thought process sometimes works is that this very month for, for May, our prompt for this songwriting group is, uh, 19, the word 19. So my first thought was, uh, the age 19, what happened when I was 19 years old? And then I thought, well, everybody's going to do that. I want to do something different. Then I thought about the 19. 60s, and I thought I could make a song about 1960 something, and I could call that even the title of the song. And I started writing something, 1960 something, it was called. And then I thought, you know, this. I, I even went and researched everything that happened in the 1960s and printed out lists of of everything, and thought I'll make a song about this. And uh, and then I thought, you know, this sounds looks like a baby boomer, you know, talking. So I'm tired of that. Nobody wants to hear a baby boomer uh, spout off and. What else? So, but that led me to uh, thinking about the Vietnam War and its similarities to this uh, coronavirus, and how every day on TV we get this tally of deaths, which is just what. Now more, we'd get the nightly news; they'd have a new tally of how many Americans died in the war, and now we're getting a tally of how many people died from this disease, and. Um, I was struck by that similarity, and then I was also struck by the fact that during Vietnam, I was a young person growing up, and even though there was all this death around, 
And I'm sure my parents were worried that this was going to adversely affect their kids. Uh, you know, I was also just a kid having fun growing up, doing the normal things that people do. And it struck me how even in a time when death is all around and death is on our mind and we get daily death reports on TV, uh, people, especially young people, are enjoying themselves and living their lives and getting on with it, you know. And uh, and so that is now, that has become... <laughs> That is what the song is now about that I'm working on from the 19 prompt. Now, is it, how near to completion is it? You know, I was just looking at it. I've got uh, several verses and I'm working on a chorus. It's called the dancing, uh, dancing in the Valley of Doom. Hmm. Let's go, let's, let's go dancing in the Valley of Doom. It could be a novel as well. Yeah, I think the explanation that I gave would fill in now. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you ever, since you were a writer, did you ever consider writing a novel? Uh, no. Just no. never entered your that, mind? That, or? It sounds like too, it seems like too much work. I mean, I know how much work it is. I know how much work it is to make a living as a writer. And it's work. Uh, you know, I mean, you got to work at it every day and... Uh, and it's hard work. And uh, I think in the same way, if I were to, and I did think at one point, maybe I could make money as a songwriter, you know, maybe I could be a professional songwriter as my my retirement career and started looking into that and, you know, quickly realized this is going to be a lot of work. You know, if you, you want to make a go of it and really actually make money at it, you you got to work hard at it, and I said, ah, it's too much work. So that, and that's how a novel seems to me, and you know, that's how being a professional songwriter also seems to me. It's like more work than I want to do. Well, when you were doing the AP uh, writing, just out of curiosity, what were the top two stories, in your opinion, that you were part of that um, either you enjoyed writing the most or they were the biggest news stories of the time. What are the top two, if you can recollect? Uh, well, I'll tell you, the uh, probably the biggest news event that I was uh, part of was um, Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and uh, I went down to uh, the Gulf Coast and saw the devastation and, uh, uh, you know, arrived... Uh, at a time that the AP uh, staff people who were down there were living in a uh, a trailer in a um, you know a camping trailer in a in a campground uh, and uh, the devastation was horrible but it was a uh, awesome experience to work with all these people to covering this big story uh, the most enjoyable story. The most enjoyable types of stories that I would write were the ones where I could talk to somebody who had a, a really quirky kind of uh, hobby or job and get them to tell me about it. Um, I remember uh, writing about a guy in Frederick who uh, had a hobby of, of carving uh, these incredibly intricate 
little scenes inside peach pits. Inside peach pits. Really? Yeah, like a like a stone of a peach, and he would carve these peach pits. And I mean, he had one that was like a, a, a waterfall, and so, you know, the guy on the horse by a waterfall, in tiny, tiny detail. Uh, that kind of stuff. Just I, I just love talking to people who you know who have a completely different view of the world than I do, or and and in a quirky and sort of fun way, you know, and try to understand what what it's like to be them. So would I love that? Yeah. So a story like that would be less work for you when you talked about uh, writing being hard work. Would it be less hard, more enjoyable? to write one of those than it would be to do one where they just say, oh, we want you to go here and write about this, and you really have no interest in it, but that's your job. Well, the writing part is always hard. The sitting down and making the words go together and make sense is always just a, a, a challenge, but it's for me, that's a sort of an enjoyable challenge. The, the part that is uh, not so fun in the news business is uh, the intensity of the deadline pressure and the intensity of the competition, uh, you know, the, the competition to be first with the big news uh, can be very demanding and, and uh, difficult. What, what they used to say in the old 1940s movies, The Scoop, Get the scoop. Yeah, get the scoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then, as soon as you get the scoop, and uh, someone says, you know, nice job, and then it's like, so, you know, what do you got next? You know, <laughs> there's no rest. There's no rest in the news business. Well, when would you get the assignments, and how quickly did you have to write and and either pass it in or email it in or however you worked it? Uh, well. Uh, you know, the, it, I was I worked for the Associated Press, which is a wire service. So, unlike a daily newspaper, but more like um, today's uh, electronic news delivery, there are no hard deadlines. The deadline is right now, so it's right now. Uh, one of the toughest things I had to do with the AP was uh, early in my AP career, I. Uh, covered uh, the University of Wisconsin football and basketball teams for one season. And I had no experience as a sports writer and um, had a, you know, not much of an interest in sports anyway, but I had to do the job. And um, on these games, you were expected to file your story instantly. As soon as the game ended, they wanted your story right now. So you had to be working on the story while the game was going on and the lead is changing and anything can happen. And yet, you know, right now, where's your story? <laughs> that was tough. I would imagine. <laughs> so you're basically multitasking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, but when I mentioned about uh, songwriting being work, I guess it it, uh, it, I didn't think of that as being work in the same way as the sort of intensity of the deadline pressure and everything. It's more the more the having to do it, you know, the the having to get organized and do it in an organized fashion and uh, 
I can see that. It, I, I mean, I, my hat's off to people who uh, make money in the music business or any, you know, any field. But um, I can see that it, it's uh, it's just it's plain work. Now, how did you get into doing showcase series or open mics? Uh, well, I uh, I just uh, let me think about how I when I started going to open mics. I always liked uh, jamming with people. I get living room jams. You know, that was always uh, one of my greatest pleasures, and still is. And of course, when you do that, you get to pick a song and, uh, you know, perform your song for somebody. So, um, uh, I really enjoy performing my song for an audience, even if it's just an audience of uh, one other person in their living room. Uh, and, uh, so that kind of led naturally to, um, going to an open mic and, and playing my song for a, a room full of strangers, uh, and of course, it's difficult the first time you do it because you're you're fearful. But uh, but I I you know I I would I I like getting that I like the interaction I like the sort of communication that can happen between a performer and an audience, and seeing someone's foot tapping or seeing someone smiling or see someone laughing when they recognize that you've made a joke in your lyric, you know. Uh, that really is gratifying for me. And um, the most gratifying thing uh, now is is if someone requests one of my songs, like this thing, Bug Stomp, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, awesome that I could write a song and people would like it enough to ask me to play it again. <laughs> uh, I, I, and... and uh, you, you played a recording of that song at the beginning of this, and that's I haven't done hardly any recording. And, and uh, the recording process to me is is so technical uh, that it's baffling and uh, off-putting. Uh, and I understand that people. Uh, I understand that uh, that making a good recording is as much of a art as making a good song, uh, but it's not an art that I particularly am interested in. You know, I'm interested in more in getting that live uh, personal interaction with an audience. Now, how did you record that song? And I, I'm going to be playing at the end of the, the show, and you may not be able to hear it because our phone conversation will have ended by that point, but that song is Lucky in Love. How did you record both of those songs? Uh, both of those songs were recorded in the living room of uh, uh, my friend Mike Freevert, who lives in uh, Washington County, Maryland. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are doing home recording these days. There's a lot of nice equipment, and he uh, bought some equipment and wanted to uh, to get good, you know, get better at it. And uh, I wanted to record some of these songs. Uh, in a, just a basic way. This was during my time when I thought I might be uh, trying to be a professional songwriter. I just wanted to get some very basic recordings of my songs. And um, and so we recorded in his living room. He had a nice setup. Uh, unfortunately, there was a... Uh, uh, you'll hear some, some little 
books during those recordings. We couldn't figure out what it was. Well, it turned out to be his cell phone. He had not turned off his cell phone, and every time some you know message would come in on his cell phone, it would uh, interfere with the with the recording. Uh, so, and those are the things recording people have to be aware of uh, that I don't even like to think about. Well, what struck me about it, because I did hear those things, and I just assumed, you know, for all I knew, it was just a little tape recorder sitting somewhere. But it does come across as more of a live sound than many recorded music does. Because you mentioned... I thought he did a, yeah, I thought he did a great sound, especially of capturing the guitar sound. Um, and I was, you know, I was pretty pleased with, with the result, and I'm planning at some point, I haven't told him this, but I'd like to go back to him and do it again and get some better recordings. Now, how many songs have you written? How many songs? Mm-hmm. Just a good guess. Uh, 60. That many? Yeah. Wow, that's a good number. Well, I've been doing like one a month now for four years and uh, had uh, you know some done before that. And every now and then do more than one a month, so uh, they add up. Now, do you commit all of them to memory or only some of them? No, no. I, I uh, it's funny how you can you can forget your own songs, you know. And 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 lately, I seem to be writing songs that get more and more complicated, and they're harder and harder for me to to play and I have to practice them so much just to be able to be competent at them. Um, So no, I don't think I remember. I I don't remember them all. And not all of them are anything that uh, I would necessarily play for people. Most of them are, (laughs) there's probably uh, maybe out of that 60, there's might be 15 or if I'm lucky, you know, 20. Uh, that I think are worthy of, uh, you know, listening to. Well, I I read an article um, on Mac Davis. I can't remember if it was a, might have been an interview. And Mac Davis, for those our age, remember he was a kind of a, a background guy for a while, songwriter, then he had his own TV series. And one of the things he used to do in his show was to have someone in the audience yell out a subject and he would write and sing a song extemporaneously on the show, which I always thought was just the coolest thing ever. But what he said in this article, they said, do you still write songs? That was the question. He says, well, yeah. They said, how often? He goes, well, what do you mean? How often? They said, well, how often do you write songs? He said, well, every day. They said, every day? And he goes, yes. You can't stay good at something unless you do it. So that was his, it's like exercise or brushing your teeth to him, was writing a song. And they said, well, how do you get a really good one or how do you get a really bad well, one? He uh, says, kind of what I mean about uh, professional songwriting being work, you know, that's yep. what I mean is uh, you have to work at it Yeah, his, every day. Yeah, his comment was the only bad song is the one you didn't write. <laughs> I've heard that before, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, throw out the... You know, that's right. Some are some are good, some are better. You know, but uh, you don't it's, you don't know till you write it. So, what are your well. what are your two of the songs that you penned? What are your two favorite to perform? 
whether you're performing just to yourself on the couch or out, or maybe there's a difference. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, to perform, I like the ones that get a response because I like that response. So this, the stink bug stomp, I'll tell you that song, people hear the words and, and understand them and laugh and like it every time. So that's always enjoyable to me. Uh, and the same with lucky and love. Uh, it, it gets a good response for me sitting at home. Um, lately I've been playing around with some jazzier kinds of things that are a lot of fun for me to play. Um, Uh, you know, when I try to play them out, uh, I don't get a big response. So I don't know if that means it's a good song or a bad song, or I'm not playing it well enough. I, I keep telling myself if I get better at it, people, <laughs> people are going to love it. You know, they have to love this song, but you can't make people love, you can't make people love you, you know, as I told somebody and you can't, uh, make people love your song. And, uh, as I learned from, my news writing career, uh, the reader is always right, you know, the list, and the listener is always right. If, if uh, you're not connecting with the reader or you're not connecting with the listener, you know, you don't really have a good uh, product. You're not communicating because, and if you're writing something to communicate something and you're not connecting, then you haven't, uh, you haven't done the job. Well, now, do you miss the news writing? No, uh, no, I don't. But uh, it, lately, I've been this just this uh, year, this spring, I uh, have volunteered uh, uh, to be part of uh, a uh, music series that the city of Hagerstown is putting together for this summer that I hope will still go on despite the virus. Uh, and as part of that, I am interviewing uh, the performers that we have uh, lined up for this music series. And I haven't done interviewing uh, for a while and, or writing the, you know, interviewing people and writing pieces. And so I just recently uh, in the last couple of weeks interviewed a couple people and uh, started writing these uh meet the artist kind of stories. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's just always fun for me to uh, play with words. It's fun for me to talk to people, learn about their, learn about people. And, and, uh, and then it's fun for me to try to tell that story and to play with the words. Now, when you, I think that's what I do with my songs too. A lot of the times I'm just, just telling a story and trying to be uh, clever about it. Well, many people who I know, when they talk about a songwriter who they really enjoy, a performer, and most recently it was an interview, and I think Dave Weiner mentioned it in his interview about John Prine, was he was a great storyteller. And that's what Dave enjoyed about John Prine's performing but I've heard it from other people, not specifically about John Prine, but so that's a good thing if you like storytelling. 
Yeah, uh, John Prine is a good example. I, I just recently listened to his first album again, and uh, one of the things that struck me is how uh, not only is he a you know a brilliant uh, wordsmith, but uh, he was uh, saying things, especially the song uh, "Your Flag Decal Won't Get You Into Heaven Anymore." Um, it reminded me of what the times were like back then in the. Uh, in the 1970s, late 70s, I think, when when he wrote that song, and when the uh, uh, the the war hawks uh, were calling all the Vietnam War protesters uh, radical anti-war uh, protesters, and you listen to John Prine, and he was anti-war, and yet he is the most uh, down-to-earth. A regular guy just telling you the story like it is. And you got to believe him because, you know, he's not being radical or crazy. He's just being funny and, and nice. Uh, and that's, I, I think that was, uh, the, that's what struck me just listening to John Prine lately. Uh, the other songwriters who I really admire are also great storytellers. John Hyatt is one, um, Elvis Costello, Tom Waits. Uh, Bob Dylan, of course, um, those guys, uh, I, and jo- Joni Mitchell, uh, I was listening to the other day and thinking what a brilliant writer she is. Sean Colvin is a tremendous uh, songwriter. Um, those people who are just, yeah, that's what they do is they, they tell these stories in clear language. You understand what they're saying. You get the message. Uh, I, I admire that. Well, when you write and you complete the song and you perform it and you get a response, do you forget about the hard work you had to put in to get to that completed part? Or do you still remember that? And it's like a success, like you've just finished the marathon and broken the tape. Uh, no, usually by that point, uh, the song has become so, I've become so comfortable with the song that I don't have to think very much about, um, you know, the work of, of putting, of making good performance out of it. Uh, it's more like you can, you can think about adding little, you know, um, bells and whistles or something or, or, you know, tweaking it here or there to have a little more fun with it. Uh, so it doesn't, yeah, I mean, I, I forget certainly that that was a lot that was work to make that song. Of course, the writing of the song was a pleasurable kind of work, and then performing it is uh, is also a pleasurable kind of work. Uh, I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I don't know. It's, uh, sometimes work can be fun, but when work becomes starts to feel like work, then I, then I don't want to do it. (laughs) Well, I go with that too. Now, how are you spending your time with this, you know, self quarantine situation musically, because we can't go out and perform. How, what are you doing to, to stay current or because you were starting that uh, songwriter uh, open mic at the winery in Hagerstown. Right. I had just uh, gotten a uh, new regular gig of a uh, 
songwriters open mic that I planned to have uh, on the fourth Thursday of every month at the Stonehouse Urban Winery in Hagerstown. Uh, and uh, only did it once before everything shut down. Uh, and um, then uh, I heard about this Zoom thing where uh, you can get a bunch of people together and they can all appear at the same time on your screen and uh, you can go around like a song circle and play a song and to an audience that, you know, is looking right at you and listening to you. And, uh, and so I've started doing that. Uh, I've, I've hosted uh, a couple of um, zoom open mics and I've attended uh, a couple more, and uh, that's how I've been dealing with that, because it, truthfully, the lack of musical interaction uh, in the first couple weeks of this uh, these virus restrictions uh, was getting me down. Uh, and then uh, the first time I, I attended one of those Zoom uh, song circles, uh, you know, it was almost as good as as being there in person. So I really recommend that to anybody who's feeling uh, deprived of, of musical interaction. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, when this whole thing is over, I hope to resume the uh, open mics at the Stonehouse Urban Winery. Uh, they've become globally famous now for having a dog that delivers your wine bottles to go. <laughs> you buy wine to go, you know, they're still open for the wine to go and they have a, a, a dog that brings your wine to you and they have been on they were in people magazine this week they're they've been on cbs and uh the today show and everything it's funny well hopefully that fame doesn't just disappear once people can go back out and it helps their business pick up yeah oh yeah i hope so they can you know got to make the most of that and I hope they do. Well, we are taping this on the 17th of April. When is your next Zoom open mic? It'll be two weeks from yesterday, so it'll be the last uh, day of April. Uh, April 30th, I think, is a Thursday. And um, I don't know when you're planning to run this podcast, but if people want to get a hold of me... Uh, I will send them an invitation. I've tried to keep it as a sort of a private invite thing to avoid the bad apples who invade Zoom sessions. Uh, but yeah, the end of uh, April. Now, you, you said you've done two of those already that you've produced? Right. One was last night and one was two weeks prior. Now, what was the turnout like last night? Last night we had 11 performers including me did you really uh, wow yeah so it was a good turnout very good now was it the basically the same group from the previous one with a few add-ons friends of those or was it a totally different uh, group uh it was uh the, the first one the first time it was i think we had five or six people and i think most of those came back the second time plus uh plus another bunch. And a lot of them are the same people who I, you know, knew from open mics. Well, one of the real gratifying things 
is that I uh, have met so many musicians up and down the I-81 corridor and also uh, I-70 between uh, Hagerstown and Frederick. And last night we had people from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, all the way down to Martinsburg, West Virginia. Uh, and we had uh, Sam Ott from, uh, well, he, li- he lives in Fairmont, I think. Actually, he lives in Jefferson. Okay, so he was trying to get in, but he had some, uh, couldn't get his uh, technology to work properly with the program. So so if we had done that, we would have had people from Frederick. We'd had the whole triangle <laughs> you know, of musicians, and I enjoy meeting you know musicians from all over. So to, to get them together uh, to meet each other and, and enjoy each other's music is very gratifying. So what does someone have to use to join it? Do they need their phone, their pad? Their... So you uh, you can you, you can use this app. It's a it's an app that you have to install on your device, whether it's your phone or your iPad or your desktop or your laptop, um, and it, and the app enables this uh, two way video communication. So it's like FaceTime if you're familiar with that, but it has a lot more features, uh, including the feature that the host, which last night was myself, uh, can mute everybody except the one person who's performing. Because if everybody's talking or making noise at the same time, it degrades the sound and it ruins the sound. So you have to be careful about that. But um, but that's what you need. And, and it, it works well. I, I've done it on my little iPhone and also on my desktop. I understand, I just learned this week that the audio portion will not work with um, the uh, Apple uh, Safari browser because uh, Google owns Zoom and Google also owns the Google Chrome browser. So they want you to use Chrome. But if you use the Firefox browser on your Apple device, then Zoom will work, So it, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. So you need a device that has a camera in it or on it. You need a device with a camera, yes, and speakers. Now we just, and like if, you, if someone's using their, either their, say, iPad or their iPhone or Android, whichever it is, it, the sound is being picked up from the microphone in the phone or the device, or do you have to have an external mic in a mixer of some no, sort. It'll it'll pick it up from the device's microphone. Now does it come across like I have tried in the past, not recently, when I say not recently, not in the last twelve years or so, to play a song over the telephone to a friend who will say, Well, I, I heard the, the vocal, but the guitar sounds really cheap and tinny. How is the sound reproduction on the guitar? It varies uh, depending on the internet connection of the performer and also the um, probably the device that uh, that they're playing it through and how close they are to the microphone. It's good to be close to the microphone. The 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 Zoom uh, software was developed as a video teleconference thing so it's keyed to the human voice it's it's it's, uh, it's 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 
real purpose is to isolate one speaker at a time so mm-hmm. that you so that when one person speaks it shuts it shuts down all the other speakers and focuses on that person but it is also has limits built into it to that uh focus the audio on the on the um dynamic range of the human voice so it's not built for musical instruments you know which have a wider uh, dynamic range um, there are some settings that you can go into to make it better for musical performance. And uh, the uh, Peabody Institute in Baltimore has put out a, a document that you can find online about how to set your settings to max to, to best advantage for musical performances on Zoom. Hmm. That's, um, it. That's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's not the same as being there, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. And I think that if you have an external mic, you'll get a better sound reproduction if you use uh, external speakers. When you listen, you'll, you'll hear better. Uh, if you're on your... Um, if you use a, a Apple-like earbuds with a built-in microphone, it goes better than if you're not using that, you mm-hmm. know? Now, in it with eleven people, does everyone get one song or two? How long does the the open mic last? Well, we did three hours or yeah, three hours last night. Wow! Um, it always takes a little while when you do these things on Zoom. There's always some newcomers who don't know how to use the thing, you know. So they everybody has to kind of learn a little more about how to uh, how to set their what they're doing and how how to do it and what not to do. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, last night we, I, by the end, I think I sang three or four songs. And... Well, if someone who's listening to the podcast, and it, it should be up this evening, so this is the 17th of April, Friday, it doesn't take long with the technology I have to be able to actually reproduce it to an MP3 and upload it. So you'll be live. I won't necessarily advertise it right away uh, because I try to keep the shows to about five or six days apart just to have some regularity to it. But if someone who's listening to the podcast is interested in participating in your Zoom open mic, how would you like them to contact you? Would you like them to contact me um, and then put them in contact with you directly? Or how would you prefer? Because I know you said you're trying to keep it somewhat uh, invitation yeah, they can. Uh, you can give them my uh, email address. That's a good way to uh, to do it. And, and the way it works is that you have to get the you get the invitation to the Zoom meeting, and then when the meeting time comes, or if you're a, if it's your first time, you probably want to do it a half hour before the meeting. Is that you click a link if you haven't already installed the Zoom app. You got to go through that process. And then uh, once you have the app in and you click the link, it'll bring you to the meeting. And then um, and then I, as the host, will let you enter the meeting. And uh, and you have to figure out how to you know get your sound going and everything. So you're the. So it's a little bit of a process. I mean, I would recommend if it's your first time, uh, start a half hour before the meeting uh, to get set up and uh, figure out how the thing works. 
Well, Dave, this has been terrific. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. I've learned more yeah. about you, which is wonderful. That's the whole reason I put the uh, podcast series together. I love backstories. Like when I watch, when my wife and I sit down and watch a movie, especially if it's a DVD, you have those extras or the features or whatever they call them. And many times it's the backstory of how they put the movie together. I love the same thing about music and, and albums, finding out, you know, how long did it take them? They interview them, the different performers and so forth. So that was the reason for putting this together. So it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Well, thank you, Todd. Uh, I enjoyed it very much and I wish you uh, luck with your podcast. Well, thank you very and much. And your music. Well, thank you very much. I have allowed myself because I've been involved in uh, doing the podcast. My finger tips are getting a little sensitive when I pick up the guitar. I need to play more especially since I'm homebound for the most part. So you'll hear from me in the future. Don't worry. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, and um, best to you and your wife, and hopefully we can get back together in a social sense in real time in front of each other soon. Yeah, I sure hope so. All right. Well, thanks so much, right. Dave. Take care. Stay yeah. healthy. I will. You do the same. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, that was Dave Dishnu and uh, his... Uh, musical journey, his AP journey, and then also discussing how to do his Zoom open mics. Really fascinating. I'll have to listen in. I do. I did pick up the Zoom app on my phone for something. It was just for audio for a business meeting. And I was able to listen and speak, but two of the, unfortunately, the two most important people for that business meeting could not speak. They could only hear, so it didn't work for that uh, but since I have the app, I may try to do this in the future. And if you're interested, let me know, and I will put you in contact with Dave. Thanks again for listening. We're going to go out with another song by Dave Dishno, and this is his Lucky in Love. I never was good at games of chance Roulette wheels and poker hands Always seemed to transform my poor dollars into dimes So I am surprised to find that we are Two cards of a kind This pair could be a winner every time I'm lucky in love You bet I'm glad I met you I'm prepared to empty up my heart and let it ride I'm lucky in love You can take it to the bank and book it I played my hand and you took it Now the odds are on my side I'm lucky in love So deal me in and I will double down On this romance no trouble could define Plans that I have made for me and you Kings and queens and jacks and aces They're gonna read it on our faces That we feel the way young lovers do I'm lucky in love You bet I'm glad I met you I'm prepared to empty up my heart And let it ride I'm lucky in love You can take it to the bank and book it I played my hand and you took it Now the odds are on my side I'm lucky in love well, the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link 
wispymopmusic.podbean.com. And Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N. You can also find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. You. I'm lucky in love. You bet I'm glad I met you. I'm prepared to empty up my heart and let it ride. I'm lucky in love. You can take it to the bank and book it. I played my hand and you took it. Now the odds are on my side. I'm lucky in love. I'm lucky in love I'm lucky in love